0: Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Amen. Thank you for that, Amber. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Psalms chapter 119 this morning. Continue to pray for Harold and Carolyn. Like I said, uh, they'll be out for the next couple of weeks, so you're going to have to endure my preaching. And uh, notes are going to be provided for you in your bulletins if you want to follow along, that would be great. Um, as I began praying about where God would have me to to speak at this morning, uh, I directed my paths to this chapter, this specific eight verses in the book of Psalms. And uh, the book of Psalms is an amazing book. If you've never read through it, it's a book of hope and encouragement. It's It's literally... We've got them in our our pews right now, songbooks. This is literally what the children of Israel used as a songbook. So uh, I know a lady in in Arkansas who has taken some psalms and actually put music to them. And so you can do that. You can sing the psalms. And so uh, we know there's 150 psalms here. We know that uh, about 100 and well, right at 110 or so. Uh, we know the authors of those psalms. But Psalms 119, we don't know who actually penned these words down. And so a lot of scholars believe this is what would be called an orphan psalm. And it's anonymous. And what I like about that when I began studying through this is you can literally put your name in these verses. So as we read through it, you can begin to put your name. James Saifert, Allison Saifert, Brody. You can put your specific name as you read through this and apply it personally to your life. Um, anyone that's struggling with anything can put their name in here to receive comfort. Uh, but also to remind us that the Christian life is a battlefield. It's not a playground. It's not a, a time of, uh, of always going to be happiness. But there are times that it's going to be a fight. And John sixteen thirty three says this. Jesus' words, these things have I spoken to you. That you may have peace. In a world where you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And if God has overcome the world, we're going to be in that world that's going to be a part of tribulation, it's going to be a part of the battlefield, but God says, "I have overcome it, so therefore you can overcome it as well." Romans 10:17 says this, "So then faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. And in order for us to overcome this, we're going to have to have faith in God's word. And in this text today, we're going to see some prayers and some questions that are going to be answered, but maybe not answered the way that the psalmist was wanting them to be answered. And in our way of of human futility, sometimes we want God to answer a prayer a certain way. And God says, I'm going to answer that prayer, but it may be in a different way than the way you expected. And ultimately, this is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to our knees, that brings us to the moment where we Sort of quote what the psalmist says here as he begins to read through it. So if you have your Bibles turned there, I gave you plenty of time to turn in introduction. I want to stand and we're going to read out of your copy of God's Word, Psalms 119, verses 81 through 88. The Bible says this My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when will you comfort me? For I'm become like a bottle in the smoke. Yet do I not forget thy statutes. How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? The proud have dig pits for me, which are not after thy law. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute for me wrongfully. Help thou me. They had almost consumed me upon the earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Quicken me after thy loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimonies of thy mouth. Father, we want to come and just thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that we can get from studying your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me the words to say this morning. Clear my mind. Allow me to say only what you would have me to say from your word. For it's in your name we pray, amen. So as we begin today looking through this psalm, I want us to think through a couple of things. I want us to, we're going to break it into three specific parts, and the first part is going to be sort of the first part of this verses, and then in the middle, the psalmist writes some questions down. I think we can really relate to these questions, and then at the end, we're going to look at his response to those questions. And so let's look at this first part, get right into it. The first thing we see here is a troubling soul, but not without hope. And this is in verses 81 through 83 and then verses 85 and 87. We see that his soul is troubled, but yet there's still hope that's given. And that's what we want to look at this morning because it begins talking about this first specific point. And as we begin to read through this in verse 81... It says, my soul, you can write in your, your, your name, James, his soul fainteth for your salvation. And so we look at this first point of your soul, my soul, his soul. And we look at the, the psalmist as he begins to write down his soul. Me and my wife were watching a, a show last night and it was about a, an airplane, an airplane crash and And at the very beginning, if you know anything about transportation, airplanes, and and trains, when they get that manifest, they don't say, how many names do I have on here? How many people do I have on here? They use the term, how many souls do I have on the manifest? Because our soul is so important. The soul of mankind is so important. Animals don't have a soul. Objects don't have a soul, but humans have a soul. And God says that your soul faints for salvation. He says, as he goes through this, God, how long, how, how is my, my soul is just, it's hurting right now. It's in pain. And God says, I know that it's in pain, but there's still hope. And even in this world, I love what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon uses the statement. He says, never question in the dark, what God has given you in the light. A lot of times we'll be going through life and we'll be going through trials and tribulations and heartaches. And we'll remember back, man, I remember when God gave me that promise. I remember that salvation experience that I had when God came down and he touched my life when I was five years old or however old it was when you. But yet when darkness comes, when dark times come, sometimes we begin to question those experiences. We begin to question what God gave us in the light and our soul is going to faint at times but oh i hope that we don't question what god has given us in the light one author said it like this as i was studying when you can't trace god's hand trust his heart for your salvation from sin from sorrows and from situations when it's hard sometimes to see god's hand in front of us trust his heart you ever been to a a cavern uh, in the ground. I've been to Linville Caverns, I believe is what it's called. And they take you down to the deepest part and they cut the lights off and they say, put your hand in front of your face. And all of a sudden the lights are gone. It's completely dark and you feel like the world's going to cave in on you. Okay, but you can't see your hand in front of your face because it's so dark. You can't trace your own hand in that moment, but yet we can still trust in God because our soul has been given To him As this psalmist is writing down some things He's he's, he's making it real personable He first talks about our soul But then he goes on to this moment And he says in verse 2 My eyes fail For your word My eyes fail to search for your word His now Not not only his soul begins to, to, to Sway a little bit But his eyes began to wander. His eyes began to Grow dim in his study. His eyes began to to wander away from God, who we should be looking at. In Hebrews, how it says, looking unto God, began to to strain from his fatigue. And, And two specific characters in the New Testament came to my mind when I read this John the Baptist. Most of us know who John the Baptist is. He was the cousin of Jesus, he came six months before Jesus did, and he was preaching in the wilderness repent and be baptized. And Herod as these last couple of weeks as Pastor Harold has been speaking on John the Baptist and the death of him Herod brought him in and put him into prison and executed him But while he was in prison, if you read through the Gospels here He sends a group of people to Jesus Because Jesus is his cousin, we're we're close to our cousins, right? Your cousins are your first best friend, right? That's the statement that they say And so he grew up with Jesus, he knew who he was and he sent some messengers to Jesus and he says, Jesus, are you really the savior? Are you really the one that's gonna come and redeem us? And Jesus simply responds and says, I am what I am. And, and John the Baptist in his eyes, as he was in prison, I'm sure he began to think, well, I'm just gonna be here for a couple of days. God's gonna come and get me. Jesus is gonna come and set me free. And a couple of days turned into a couple of weeks. And a couple of weeks turned into a couple of months. And then eventually he was persecuted and he had his head cut off. And I'm sure during those times, his eyes were at one moment looking to Jesus. And then he gets to this moment where he sends messengers because he said, my eyes are failing me. You say you're going to come and save me, but why aren't you here? I began thinking of Paul and how Paul had a very difficult time. Shipwreck, after imprisonment, after being stoned to death, after coming back to life, after all these things, Paul in Philippians, I'm sorry, in Second Corinthians says this in verses four, chapter four, verses eight and nine: "We are hard pressed on every side." Have y'all been there before? Hard pressed on every side, man. It, we get through one pandemic and then something else comes up. We get through one problem and then something else comes up. But this is what he says right after that. Yet we're not crushed. He says, we are perplexed. How in the world are we going to get through this? But not in despair. We are persecuted. But oh God, you haven't forsaken us. And then I love this. We are struck down. But yet we're not destroyed. Man, that's, that's Paul in the middle of persecution. He's writing this in prison. He's writing this in the moment where everyone's forsaken him. Everyone's going away. And yet he puts down... We're persecuted, but yet we're not forsaken. We're, we're, we're so crushed and we're so struck down, but yet God, you haven't destroyed us. So that means there's still life in my bones. There's still breath in my body. So I'm still going to go out and I'm still going to do what I've got to do. That, that's where this psalmist is coming from. My eyes fail you. He goes from his soul to his eyes to his life. In verse 83, it says this, for I am become like a bottle in the smoke. Now that means absolutely nothing to us in modern day Christianity. What is a bottle in a smoke? Some, some commentaries refer to this as a wine skin in the smoke. What this simply means, just to clarify it for you, is back in the Old Testament days when they would have milk or they would have liquid, they didn't have refrigerators. Okay? They couldn't preserve things. And so they would take animal skin and they would... Preserve it and they would put their liquid in that And that would keep their liquid Preserved And over time as you know animal skins began to Decay right doesn't last forever And so as this animal skin began To decay it would be up in The smoke part of the house And the smoke would dry it out Even more and ever more and it it would Eventually become so Dilapidated that it would lose Its ability to preserve anything And so what the psalmist Is saying here my life is becoming useless. My life is becoming of nothing. I've lost all influence in my life. And sometimes we get that way. Sometimes we get to this point where, man, we begin beating ourselves up. And the other day I was listening to some music. As you know, I like Southern gospel. And uh, I play different things as I get ready in the morning. This song came on. My Amazon Alexa app, because we all should have one of those to play in our bathroom. And it says this, Greater Vision wrote this song. It's called Faces. It says, I dreamed my life was done. Began thinking about this, how he said my wife has, has become nothing. And I stood before God, and it was time to see what my reward would be. With love, he reviewed my life. To count what was done for Christ. For that is what will last eternally. See, i had done my best to share that Jesus really cares. And he would save if they just believe. But seldom did harvest come. And so few did I see one. Until the Lord said this, turn and see. And then he showed me the faces of the ones who had come because of me. So many faces in my life that had led to Calvary. And all those years that nobody... Saw as I labored in lowly places, that was Jesus that smiled and showed me all the faces. So many times we think that our life is, is of nothing, of no influence, and we've lost all influence because we've made mistakes or, or we've messed up. But churches, we study the lives of people in the Bible, they messed up. David had an affair, Samson. Lied and, and cheated and did everything against his vow that he said he wouldn't do. And every person that we read has a story that was messed up. And God says, your life is not gone. I'm here to say your life is of value and I gave my son's life for you. I'm reminded of a, a little poem that my former pastor in Idaho wrote. It says, this is my life. I only have one. And only what's done for Christ will be shown. This is my one and only life. What are we doing with our life today, church? Are we wasting our life away? Have we given up so much time of our life that it's become of no use? Or are we taking the influence that God has given us to reach other people? The fourth thing we see here is in verse 85. As we'll continue on, it says, The proud have dig pits for me. The proud have dug pits for me. Verse 85 says this is his enemies. Because all of a sudden our soul is troubled, our eyes are troubled, our life has been beat up, and now we turn to our enemies. And our enemies are around us all the time. He, he uses this illustration as almost a hunter. A hunter who's, who's dug a hole, who set a trap for when that squirrel comes by, his legs are going to go down that hole or his body's going to go down that hole and he's going to be trapped and he can't get out. That's the illustration that he's given us here is that the enemy is there and we are the prey and he's coming after us. And I'm sure as the psalmist wrote this down, he, he thought back into Proverbs where the Proverbs wrote this, those ones that dig a hole will eventually fall in it. And he was encouraged by even writing this. He also continued to write on that same proverbs He that pusheth a stone, eventually that stone's gonna roll back on them. And that that as as we think of this, as we think of the enemies that are around about us, the evil they do to us eventually will catch up to them, whether in this life or the next. Because God says the proud have dug their holes. The enemies are around us, but yet they haven't beaten us, as Paul said. And then the last thing we want to look at is this, his time in verse 87. It says, they almost had consumed me upon this earth. He gets this point where the situation's critical. The time is, he he reads as almost as the hourglass is almost expired. We've all got those little timer hourglasses. For Christmas, we got our kids two minute timers. Little sand glasses that they use when they brush their teeth. Hey, and they'll, they'll sit there and they'll flip it. And when they brush their teeth, they don't look in the mirror at what they're brushing. You know what they do? They look at that hourglass and they're brushing away, hoping that it'll hurry up and finish. Okay? That's what, that's, that's what he's saying here. He's saying that we were, we we're so consumed with this hourglass, with the time that we've been given, that, that we don't know when the end's going to be. But yet we're so consumed with it. It's exhausted us. And all of our, when we begin to, when people have babies and we do baby dedication, I use this statement. It's not original to me, but, but I use this statement every year, every time we do it. And I tell the parents, I say this days are slow, but the years are fast. And you as parents know that man, a day goes by and you're like, man, when is it bedtime? When is it time for these little hellion kids to go to bed? Okay. When's it time for me to have some peace and quiet? Okay. We've been there. I'm human. My kids aren't perfect either. Okay. Sometimes pastors, kids think they are, but they're not. And all of a sudden we can begin to think, man, how long, how long, how long it's taking forever for this day to get over. And then the blink of an eye, Bertie's seven years old. Jade's five years old. In 10 years, Bertie's going to be 17. And now he loves it when I say that, but the years go by so fast and we can wish our days away. When God says, stop and enjoy the time that you have. And then the psalmist, that was just the the first point. That was just the introduction. then the psalmist goes into three questions. As I read these questions, you can go to the next slide. Questioning spirits, but not without answers. As I began to read these questions, my mind went to a character in the Bible named Job. And I began to think of, of these questions and almost Job asks these same questions. Job very well could have been the writer of of this, I don't know, but I know that Job went through a lot, yet he didn't let it overcome him. And so these are some questions that the psalmist asked and maybe, just maybe, these are questions that we as suffering saints have asked ourselves. We have said, God, why? And these are the questions that he asked. The first one is this, in verse 82. When will you comfort me? He said, My eyes are failing, but when are you going to comfort me? You know, this is a natural response to anyone that's suffering. Anyone that goes through a time of suffering asks the question, When is the suffering going to be over? When is the, the heartache? When is the pain going to be done? Some of it is, it's a lifetime. I've I've shared this before, but my family went through a divorce. The pain of that divorce has still never fully gotten over in my life. I still have to go to mom's house for Christmas and dad's house for Christmas. I still have to endure the pain of that. And I thought, you know, maybe when I get older, the pain of that will eventually go away. But, you know, now that I have kids, they ask me the same question. Dad, why do you have two dads? Why do you have two moms? And I have to relive that pain over and over again of saying, you know what? Mom and dad, they didn't make good decisions, my mom and dad. And so therefore I am suffering the consequences and they don't understand the thought of divorce. But yet sometimes that question comes to me. Why am I having to over and over and over again, go over this? It's difficult to wait. Sometimes it's difficult to, to be patient. You know, that's the hardest thing for Christians to do for humans to do is be patient. You know, we, we are in a give it to me and give it to me now world. How fast can my internet be? Okay, we struggle with that nowadays. Okay, how quick can I get this meal made? Can the microwave make it quicker? So I'm going to use it in the microwave. Okay, that instant gratification of a text message, that instant gratification of everything in our life to where if we don't like something nowadays and we're on Facebook, it's just as simple as a scroll and we're past it. And three seconds later, we're done with it. We've scrolled past it. And God says, sometimes we're going to have to go through an extended period to understand, to look to him. To understand that this temporary pain may pass. But we must look on the unforeseen, the unseen Lord to work out his will. So the first question is, when will you comfort me? The second question is this. In verse 84, and there's two questions in this one. How many are the days of thy servant? How many are the days of your servant? How much longer can I take this? My days are slipping away and my prayers remain unanswered. When we read that verse in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, as Paul begins to say, we're overcome, but we're not destroyed. We're crushed, but we're not destroyed. We're persecuted, but we're not destroyed. And we ask us these questions continually over and over again. And oftentimes we'll go through strange delays. As a church, as a person, as a family, we'll go through things and we'll ask these questions. God, are you really handling this situation? God, are you even there? And we ask God that question. And God says, it's okay. Because Spurgeon said it like this. And and Spurgeon, he's, he's a great man if you've never read after him. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. God is too wise to be mistaken. He doesn't make mistakes. And God is too good to be unkind to his believers. And we may not understand it right now, but there is an answer in the long run. And when you go through those trials, when you go through those things, as 2 Corinthians 1 says, we go through trials and tribulations so that one day we can comfort others who go through those trials and tribulations. I don't know if I've shared this before here, but it was our junior year in college and we're sitting there at church. It was a revival meeting and, and Allie come in and we were dating at this time and she was just bawling her eyes out, just crying. And I said, what's going on? And if you know my wife, she shuts down. She doesn't talk to anybody. And so I prodded more and I prodded more as good husbands or boyfriends do at the time. And eventually she, she said, my dad's fourth husband, fourth wife, sorry, fourth wife, fourth wife just left him, took the kids, took everything from his house. He doesn't even have a bed to sleep on at home and she's crying and she's going through this and, and I looked over at her and, and God brought me to this passage of scripture in second Corinthians and I said, Allie, I said, one day you're going to be married to me, which is going to be great. Uh, I didn't say that one day. Uh, we're going to celebrate Valentine's Day and it's going to be great. No. I said, one day you're going to be a youth pastor's wife. And I said, and some teenage girl is going to be going through the same thing that you're experiencing right now. And you don't understand why you're experiencing it. But when that time comes, you're going to be over that, not fully over, but you're going to understand it more. And you're going to be able to comfort her in those times. I said, we don't, we don't wish these things upon anyone, but We understand that sometimes we go through things just to comfort others. And that's sometimes the answer when we ask these questions. The third question is this, verse 84, and I'm going to be quick, is the second part of that. When will you execute judgment on those that persecute me? When will you execute judgment on those that persecute me? The psalmist, I love this, doesn't take matter into his own hands. How many of you like to take out judgment upon yourself? You like to be the judge, jury, and executioner. Okay, no one in here is going to raise their hand but me. Okay, one more. Okay, two more. Okay, we're, we're starting to get there. We're waking up a little bit. Okay, the psalmist puts aside his humanity and says, God, I know I could go out and I could whoop this guy. I know I can go out and take care of him, but God, when are you going to execute judgment he presents this case to God and expects the intervention of God. Too many times we don't get God to intervene because we intervene in of ourselves. And we take matters into our own hands and then we say, God, why didn't you take care of it? He says, well, you decided to be God yourself. You decided to take care of it yourself. So I can't take care of it now. You've took care of it. And God says, I'm going to execute judgment if you allow me to. It may not be in this lifetime, but he said, I will if you let me. Let's look at this last part. And this is the part really of the message where we look at the responses after all these questions, after all the statements, the second part of the verses is this a trusting servant, but not without truth, a trusting servant, but not without truth. And he begins to, to go through several things here. I believe it's seven. If I remember correctly. He begins to go through and he begins to give us the truth that we desire. And the first one is this, hope. Simple four-letter word, hope in verse 81. He says, my soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. It's where I got the title from this message from, hope in God. Because the object of our anticipation should be the same as his anticipation, which should be the word of God. Hebrews 11, one says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What are we hoping for in our life? What are we putting our hope and our trust in? Is it man's wisdom? Is it man's philosophy? Is it man's vain deceit, Or is it in God almighty who is holy, who is pure, who is greater than anything else that's ever been made because he is outside of everything that's been made. What is our hope in? What are we hoping in this morning, church? He begins to go from that hope to this, searching. Verse 82, he says, mine eyes fell for the word. His eyes fell, we talked about that, but now he says, when will, I'm sorry, verse 82, I read the wrong one. My eyes fell me. When will you comfort me? He's began searching for the word of God, searching. Verse John chapter five says this, you search the scriptures, For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are the things which testify me. What are we searching for this morning? Are we searching for God's word? Are we so consumed with God's word? As as Johnny Hunt said this past week when we were down in Georgia, he said, we're going to leak as humans. We're going to put whatever we put into our bodies, we're eventually going to leak. Okay, that's in a physical sense and in a spiritual sense. Okay, in the spiritual sense, if you're filled with the word of God, you're going to begin leaking the word of God. What are we leaking? What are we searching? But ultimately, what are we giving out? Acts 17 says this the early church, and they began meeting, and it says they were more far minded than these in Thessalonica, in that they received the word of God with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. What are we searching daily? Are we searching after our own affairs or after our own own love and desires? Or are we searching for what God would have us to find in his scripture? The third thing here, verse 83, says this. For I became like a bottle of wine, yet I did not forget thy statues. I do not forget thy your statues. If you go back a couple of verses in verse 16, it says this, I will delight myself in your statues. I will not forget your word. What, as this was said, even this past week as well, God brought it back to my mind. We are going to break promises, right? How many times have we made a promise to someone and we broke it? Guilty of it. First one guilty right here as sin. I've made promises and I broke them. But God is the ultimate promise keeper. He makes promises and he doesn't break them. He makes the promises in life and he says, I am the one that will fulfill those promises. And we must not forget those things. As I read at the beginning of the service in James chapter one, we must not forget his word. Too many times we are people that come before God's word and we read it. And as we step away, we forgot what we read. We're like what James says we're we come before a glass and we look at our reflection and we turn around and we forget the shirt we had on. We saw ourselves and we were looking at it, but yet we forgot it when we walked away. And he says, that's what we're doing with the word of God. We're reading it just to check off and say, I read God's word, but yet we didn't even get anything out of it. Don't forget his word. Allow his word to drive you through life. The second, the, the fourth thing here is be faithful. Letter D. Verse 86, we go down a little bit because those are the questions next. He says, all thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. He commends this faithfulness of God. And by commending the faithfulness of God, he is ultimately saying that God's word is the faithfulness in our life. And my mind was brought to this song. It's a song that a a pastor friend of mine, uh, his name is Kenny Baldwin. Some of our teenagers may remember that name from our very first camp that we went to in winter camp and and kenny ball when he's a black guy he's not not just that's what he is i'm a white guy he's a black guy not saying anything definite there um but he plays the piano which i wish i could do and he also sings which i wish i could do and then i've got on my computer i listen to it every once in a while and he sings this song called jesus never fails i want you to listen to the first verse in the chorus. so many souls have tested him throughout the course of time And many still reach out to him with broken hearts and minds. And every one of them will say, without exception, they will find that Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. You might as well get thee behind me, Satan. You will not and cannot prevail because Jesus never fails. Listen to the second verse because it's exciting. Even in the days of old, he brought the people through. And then he came to show his love and died for me and you. Then he rose again to prove that every story had been true, that Jesus never fails. God is faithful to us. How is our faithfulness to him? He's not going to fail us. He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to give up on us. Are we giving up on him? Romans 3 says this, for what if some did not believe, will their unbelief make them faithfulness, faithfulness in God be without effect. Certainly not indeed. Let God be true and every man a liar as it is written that you may be justified in your words, that you may be overcome when you are judged. God is faithful, church. Are we faithful to him? Or do day after day do we continue to fail him? And yet as a loving father, he comes to us and he wraps his arms around us and he says, I love you and I know you failed me but I'm not going to fail you. I know you've made mistakes, but I don't make mistakes. I know you've had problems, but I'm that person that's going to give that problem solved. So we see that we're hope and we're searching and we're not forgetting his word and we're faithful to him. And then the fifth one here is in verse 86. He says, help me. Help me. He says, thou and thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me. Help thou me. They persecute me wrongfully, one version says, and we begin to say, God, help me. Uh, I'm, I spent Wednesday night talking about this, so I'm not going to belabor this point, but, but this is what it says. Prayer is simple and specific. He, he went through this, and, and in two words, he said, God, things are bad. Things are horrible. People are persecuting me. He was specific, but then he said simply, help me. God, help me. I need your help in this time. So many times we think that prayer has to be this long, drawn out, extravagant thing and, and we hear the great prayers of the saints and some of those prayers should be like that. But sometimes our prayer is just, God, I don't know the words to say. I don't know what I'm going through. I just need your help. And that's what he's saying here. Things are bad. I don't know what's going on. God, help me. Then verse 87, we continue on to look at this and it says this. They had almost consumed me upon the earth, but I forsook not your precepts. I did not forsake what you asked me to do. Oh, when I looked at that verse, listen to this. They had almost consumed me, but. Almost, they almost got me, God, The enemies almost got me, Satan almost got me. I'm thinking of Job the whole time I'm reading this. God, they they almost got me, they took away my wife, they took away my family, my wife turned from everything, my servants, they burned down my barns, they burned down everything, I have nothing, they almost got me, but I'm not gonna forsake you. But I'm not gonna let them get me down. God had drawn a line in the sand and said, you can only go this far. You ever wonder why Job, why God sent him Job? I don't know why. He says that he was a perfect and upright man and he said, have you considered my servant Job? It's almost like Job got a little complacent. I blessed Job, he's doing good, his family's doing good, his servants are doing good, he's got cattle, he's got money. Maybe he's a little complacent. Have you considered Job? Have you considered him? And sometimes when we go through life, maybe God's saying, have you considered that saint? Have you considered that person? Because they're not going to forsake me. I've been too good to them to forsake me. I've I've allowed my blessings to overflow their life. They're not going to forsake me. And of course, Job didn't. But how many times do we sometimes look at God and we say, God, why? But maybe it's because he doesn't want us to forsake him. He wants us to turn to him and run to him and say, God, I need you today. God, I need you in my life today more than I ever have. Which leads us to this last point as we go through this progression. It goes through in verse 88. It says, quicken thou me, bring life to me after thy loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimony of my mouth. In verse 88, it goes to this point of saying, God, revive me. Revive me, give me life again. that quicken, if you've ever been clipping your fingernails and you've went a little bit too much and the blood began to come out. That's the quicken, that's the quick of your nail. And God says through the author here, quicken thou me, bring life back to me, revive me again, God. Once I was on fire, once I was excited, once I sat there and I told every person I could, I got saved and I went out and I told my neighbor and I told my best friend and I told my my brother and my sister and my mom I told everybody, but God, I'm not as excited as I used to be. I'm not as energetic as I used to be. I'm not as on fire for you as I used to be. And God, I need that power to come back on me again and to revive me. Oh, church, as we went through this pandemic and I began to study pandemics throughout the world. And back in the 1900s and back in the 1800s, the church didn't run away from a pandemic. Martin Luther, when he was pinning the 95 theses on the door, there was a pandemic going on. And you know what Martin Luther did? He said, where's the worst part at? I'm going to go and I'm going to get in the worst part. I'm going to tell them about Jesus because they need it. They're dying and they're going to hell and they need Jesus. He said, I didn't care about the disease. I didn't care about anything. If I died in there, I'd rather die telling someone about Jesus that was dying of a disease than sit at my house and not tell anyone about Jesus. Church, we've gotten complacent. We've gotten just... just fine by sitting at home and ordering our food online and, and never going out and talking to anybody. And we need to get back to this point where we're saying, God, revive us. God, we need you. I can't do anything without you. I can't do nothing and I need you in my life. That's what the psalmist is saying here. God, you've been faithful to me and I've just been it. I've just been sitting at home and doing nothing, not talking to anybody. God, you've given us an opportunity to go out and tell people about you, and we've forsook it. We've despised your word. We've despised your name, and God, revive us. Give us the unction to go out and to reach people again so that you will hear and be glad. As our musicians play and as we begin to prepare our hearts for the invitation and ultimately our communion, I want to ask you just a couple of questions. The psalmist in this way, he began to look through his life. He began to look through the actions of his life and he found hope in God's word. He is calling to memory that which he had read before and he's saying, we must proclaim God's word. We must show his loving kindness. While he continued to observe these precepts and these testimonies, he continued to to encourage himself in the hope that this word has for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't normally do this. I just want to ask a couple of questions. First question I want to ask is this. There's this hope that we have. The hope in salvation, the hope in God. And I know for a fact when I was five years old, I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Now, I didn't live perfectly from then on but I know there was a time. Is there anyone here today with no one looking around with just the music playing? Would there be someone here that says, Pastor James, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever made a decision for Jesus. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to make you do anything crazy. I just want to pray for you. Would there be one here today that would say, I don't know for sure. Raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Raise your hand. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, Pastor James, I've forsook God's word. I have lost hope. I haven't searched God's word like I should have. This was a really hard sermon for even me to prepare because God spoke to me through it. And if you're saying right now, Pastor James... There's some things that that God's word brought to my life that I need to work on. Would you raise your hand right now? I just want to pray for you. Just put your hand up in the silence of this time. Because I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you specifically. As we begin to go into this invitation, our altars are going to be open. They're always open. It's not just at one moment. Maybe there's some things in... Your life where you just need to say, God, I want to be revived in this area. I want to be brought back to life in this area. The altars are going to be open. Maybe you're sitting here right before we go into communion. You need to come forward and you just need to confess and say, God, I want my heart right before I take communion. I want my heart right before I go into this moment of great intercession. Maybe that's you. Father, we just want to pray and thank you for this day. Lord, have your will and way in our church. Have your will and way in our lives as we serve you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.